Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is the podcast where I personally get to talk to Olympic athletes and hopefuls about their story and path to the games. Today is a very interesting episode. We have Kevin Bickner. He is of USA Skiing. He does the uh, ski jump, um, the the interesting sport that we unfortunately only watch once every uh, four years here in America. Luckily for him, over in Europe, it's one of their favorite sports. So so he's a, he's a pretty lucky guy. But he is actually the American record holder um, for the longest jump in ski jump history. Um, it's pretty cool. He's a really amazing guy. I just think some of these stories, they really get – Super, super interesting. I love going all the way back and just hearing how they get into their sport. And Kevin has a very, very interesting, um, almost random chance, random happening of how he got into his sport and now is is one of the best in the country at something. So Kevin's a really cool dude, very laid back. He had a very scary injury not too long ago, um, but he is okay. He is training and he's getting back on the horse. So everybody, one more time, Kevin Bickner of USA Skiing, and I hope you guys have a wonderful episode. All right. And another special guest. I mean, we're all special guests at this point. We got Olympic athletes, right? So uh, today, our special guest, Kevin Bickner, he's of USA Ski Jumping. He was born September of 1996 in Wakanda, Illinois. Wakanda forever. Love it. Um, (laughs) Started skiing at the age of three, started jumping at the age of nine. He made his World Cup debut in 2014 slash 2015. So under the age of 20, that's pretty incredible. Made the Olympics in 2018, placing 18th in the normal hill, 20th in the large hill and ninth in the team large hill. So he was obviously a big part of the team uh, being in three different events. It sounds like he's currently the national record record holder with a jump of over 244.5 meters. It's just for reference. It's two and a half football fields. You flew through the air, two and a half football fields. Super excited to ask you about that. Um, and he was named the USA ski jumping athlete of the year in 2016, 2017, and 2018. So I'm extremely excited to have you on today, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Uh, excited to be on the show. Heck yeah, man. Love it. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible some of the stuff you've been able to do at such a young age. So, I mean, if you don't mind, Kevin, just kind of giving us a, I mean, I gave you a synopsis. I gave the audience a synopsis, but you're way better at telling your story than I am. So if you don't mind just kind of filling in some of the blanks and giving us some extra details. Yeah, of course. Um, so what do you want to know? Like how I started? Yeah. Yeah. How you started. I mean, being from Illinois, I don't know. I mean, I've driven through Illinois. I'll be honest. I didn't see any mountains. So I'm just kind of curious no, how you, how you got into it. Very flat. <laughs> so, so keep going. Um, so like about a hundred years ago, um, when a bunch of Norwegians um, immigrated to America, they settled mostly in the Midwest. Chicago is probably about as far South as they went, but um, you know, they brought over their culture and a big part of that was ski jumping. And um, you know, they kind of searched the land, found the biggest hills that they could find, and they threw a tower up on the hill to jump off of. So um, in like 1905, I think it was, uh, the Norgi Ski Club was founded, and uh, that's my home club. Um, it's about 45 minutes northwest of Chicago, and uh, it's not very big. It's just a 70 meter, which is smaller than the smallest Olympic jump that we compete on, but, um, still to the average person, I think if you walked up and looked at it, it looked pretty big. So when I was nine, um, some of my neighbors brought my family to a competition cause they saw it advertised somewhere and they knew our family liked to ski. So they're like, Oh, the Bickners will dig this. And I thought it was really cool. Um, there was a tent set up that said, learn to ski jump. And my dad noticed it and he asked me if I wanted to give it a try. And I was like, yeah, of course. So, 
Um, I went back a little later. Uh, they set me up with a pair of skis and a suit and all my equipment and uh, sent me off a jump. And you know, I fell in love with it right away. That's incredible. I mean, you like, I love listening to, to stories like yours. I mean, pretty much anyone's story is, is always incredible, but it's just kind of cool how you can almost trace back to your next door neighbor bringing you to some random event that was televised to being one of the best athletes in the world or something. Like, I just think that is so cool when you oh, start they, dots like that. It's yeah, yeah, they, they constantly bring it up too. Oh, like, good. I remember we were the ones who took you there the first time. And- hundred percent dude I, if i did that for one of my friends oh absolutely man it's like oh dude i need like 20 bucks why do you need 20 bucks well like you know i gave you your life so if you don't mind i would really <laughs> love to borrow no that's that's too cool man uh, hey congratulations you clearly put in the work to get to where you are so obviously yeah, thanks. We're, being, we're being a little facetious about it but it's pretty incredible just how stories sometimes uh work out like that you know if you were sick that day or if just some your dad didn't see the tent or anything like that you know this isn't a story but um everything kind of lined up and it worked out and it's it's, it's pretty incredible so yeah Congratulations about that. So you're, you're jumping off a ski jump for the first time. You're nine years old. You know, how high do, do they shoot you off the 70 meter at that point? Or I'm no, assuming no. they have a smaller one. Um, for, for smaller. Yeah. So I actually started this competition I went to was in, um, was in the winter, but it was kind of a bad winter. There wasn't a lot of snow. Um, I think they actually had the events on plastic. So I went back a couple months later in the summer and, um, to jump a hill in the summer, you have to have plastic on it. And they, at the time, they didn't have plastic on all their hills. The smallest hill they had plastic on was a 20 meter. Typically, someone starting off would start off on a five and then move up to a 10 and then the 20. So um, it was a little intimidating when I got my stuff on. I rode down the landing hill, um, which comes like after the ramp. I did that a few times. You know, you're nine years old, you fall a bunch. Um, get back up, keep trying it. Um, but eventually by the end of the day, I stuck the landing. Um, I did that for two days on the third day I went to training. Uh, my coach told me to go up and go off the actual jump and I was a little terrified, but it's like, all right, I did it anyway. I just listened to him, got off the bar and sent it. I crashed of course, but, um, I got up and tried it again jumped a few more times and by the end of the day I landed a jump and um I was like wow I already made it to the 20 meters so I thought in my head like maybe I could be pretty good at this that's incredible dude I mean 20 meters 20 sounds like a small number but it's 60 feet essentially in the air like that's yeah. just incredible I mean that's six stories right I think a story is 10 feet like mm-hmm. I mean I'm terrified of heights so when you're telling me some of these numbers, like 20 is the, you know, the baby hill essentially. And then, you know, you had a 70 meter hill, which isn't even like Olympic, like a, a normal Olympic hill. Like these, these numbers are just mind boggling to me. It's like, how do you like at such a young age, is it just, it's, I mean, it's easier usually to be thrown to the wolves at such a young age, but what was that like being like, all right, well, I guess we're jumping the 20 meter. And then, no, I, I landed it. That means I can guess I can just go up another 10. Like, what is that like at such a young age and just kind of, listening to these adults saying, no, 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 you're good. Just keep going. You're fine. It's a lot. Um, usually, uh, you wait until you're like comfortable with that hill before you move up to the next size and you know, you want to be safe doing it. But, um, I might've progressed up to larger hills probably a little sooner than I should have, but, um, I mean, it worked out. Uh, it took me a year before just over a year before I got to that 70 meter. Um, usually that takes someone 
I don't know if they start at six, usually they'll jump it when they're like 12 or 11 or something. So um, I fit all of that in a short period of time. It sounds like it. And it sounds like it was completely worth it too. Cause again, look at where we are now. Um, so that's incredible, man. Very cool. I love that story. That is just absolutely insane. So um, tell me a little bit about USA Nordic and uh, you know, what you guys are doing there and, and how, um, you're, how you're progressing along with that. Yeah. So they're kind of um, an organization that took over ski jumping in the U S um, Back in 2006, I believe it was, USSA, uh, US Ski and Snowboard, uh, completely cut all the funding for ski jumping. And so uh, ski jumping was in kind of a dark place for a while. Uh, We didn't really have any good athletes and um, a way to fund the sport. And then in 2010, a couple uh, guys who used to be jumpers, essentially, and were passionate about the sport, kind of realized how messed up that was. And they formed this organization. Um, originally was USA Ski Jumping, um, but now we've merged with another sport called Nordic Combined, which is um, a combination of ski jumping and cross country skiing, um, where you race based on your jumping. Um, so yeah, basically, a combination of the two Nordic sports. And um, so now it's called USA Nordic, but it started as a little organization to try to you know, get ski jumping going in the U S again. And, you know, it took a few years to really get some momentum, but, um, now they're like a pretty big organization, um, with, uh, a lot of sponsors and staff members. And we have a bunch of coaches now. And, um, if you're like on the A team or world cup skiing world cup, then you're fully funded now, which is really awesome for us. It wasn't like that a few years ago um there's a pretty hard struggle we had to go through for a while but uh things are definitely getting better every year for ski jumping heck yeah that's phenomenal uh phenomenal to hear about i mean naturally if if an organization pretty much just dumps you guys that's I mean, as you said, it puts you in a pretty dark place, but, um, luckily there was, you know, some, some, uh, people that were interested in helping you out and because they love the sports, I'm assuming that's always a huge portion of it too. So that's pretty incredible. So what have they been able to do for you, um, as an athlete to increase, you know, your ability to increase your, your wherewithal and everything that you need to become, you know, one of the best athletes in the world or something? Um, you know, they've pretty much done everything along the way. Um, you know, coaches, travel, um, just, I I don't know where I'd be without them really. Um, you know, kind of lost and not knowing which direction a ski jumper is supposed to go. Um, yeah, they've, they've taken over all the responsibilities, um, that the athlete shouldn't have to deal with, but we kind of were because we didn't really have any direction. Like a lot of the other countries, especially in like Scandinavia or central Europe where ski jumping is like really big and it's kind of part of the culture there. And, um, they're like funded by the government and, um, have like all the best coaches, all the best equipment, all these really nice Hills. Uh, they have like every advantage. And, um, so it's, they produce like really good athletes and for us to kind of start with nothing and make it this far. And now we're, um, every year we're getting closer and closer and like competing with those top guys. So it's, it's really cool to see what 
they've been able to do. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Obviously, you know, as you said, starting from nothing and now being able to compete with some countries that have been doing this, you know, for a hundred years, as you talked about earlier. So thank you for going all the way back in that story. I appreciate it. Um, but, you know, being able to then start competing with some of these countries head to head and really being able to shred our stuff a little bit. I mean, we are America, you know, we have we have a couple of mm-hmm. dollars here to help. So it's nice that there are some of these organizations that are able to help you guys out and really give you everything you need, coaching equipment, nutrition, um, a plan. That's usually half the battle, really knowing which direction, as you said, to go. Because, you know, obviously ski jumping hasn't been a huge sport here for forever. And hopefully with athletes like you on the team and some some of the other, um, you know, competitors, we will be able to push that a little bit higher. And, and each each Olympic will get, every, will get a little bit closer each time. And hopefully, uh, hopefully one of these days you'll be bringing home the gold, man. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's the goal, right? Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Um, so, um, in as I said before, in 2016, 17, and for this previous season, 18, you have been named the USA Ski Jumping Athlete of the Year. At such a young age, like, what does that mean to you? Being essentially the face of a sport, can I go that far and say, like, what does that mean to you? And how do you kind of take that either in stride, like, either with getting your head too big? Because at 18, if someone told me I was the best in the world at something, I'm going to be a total total a-hole about it um but like how have you been able to handle that pressure and and you know really being able to represent the sport as well as you have been no it's uh it's it was really cool like the first year i got it um a little bit of a surprise but um i was like really excited and kind of showed like all the hard work i was putting in was kind of starting to pay off um and i knew that meant i kind of had a role i had to take and since then it's the idea I've had in my head um, has turned into more of like a leadership role. Like um, I have these responsibilities as uh, the number one guy to step it up and help bring the rest of my team up with me. hundred percent, hundred percent. Hey man, um, could you stop tapping the desk a little bit oh, if you don't sorry. mind? Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm just getting some feedback. So it's starting to, it's just starting to get that a little bit, not that big a deal. So no worries. Um, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's extremely important knowing that you're, you know, you're kind of looked at your people look up to you in the sport. You're, you're the guy at this point, it sounds like to me. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, it sounds like you're doing a great job at, at fostering the sport and giving it everything it needs, but also making sure you're taking time for yourself to make sure you're giving yourself everything you need because you're still in competition and you want to win next year and the year after that. I mean, you've won three years running What's the, why not win for the next four or five years as well? I mean, we still have four more years to the next winter game. So, I mean, hopefully, Hopefully you're taking that award home every single year, man. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Good stuff. Uh, very cool. But yeah, as I said, like how, like how you've been able to handle that in stride is pretty incredible. You seem like a really humble dude. Seems like you got your head on straight. As I said, I would let that go. My head would be gigantic if someone told me that, especially three years in a row at such a young age. Man, that is just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. So, I think, uh, yeah. I think what kind of you know keeps me level with that is. Um, you know, knowing that we're kind of a smaller country as far as ski jumping goes, uh, we're not very dominant. And so being the best in the country isn't like, doesn't satisfy me enough. I don't want to be the best in the country. I want to be the best in the world. So um, I want to, I want to strive more than that. And maybe if I was like from Austria or Norway or something, then being the number one in the country would go to my head a little bit more. But I think at this point, I don't, I can't let it go to my head quite yet. And that's, that's, that's kind of kept me humble right now. Yeah, that's a really great point because we are, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, we're not the biggest in ski jumping, the biggest mm-hmm. uh, country in ski jumping, as you said. Um, 
so yeah, you're, you're incredible for our country, but at the same time, you know, you still got a little ways to go to, uh, to compete on, well, you're competing at the world level, but to be compete at the, the tippy top of the world level and bring home, you know, as we said, number one in the world. And so we, uh, I guess we'll put that on the calendar. Hopefully in four years, we'll be seeing your name next to that on the podium <laughs> next to that gold medal, man. So I yeah. love it. Uh, good stuff. So you started, um, you started competing at the World Cup in 2014 and 2015. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, the sport outside of the Olympics and kind of how qualifying works and World Cups and, and all these extra events that really nobody hears about, if we're being honest. Yeah, I think um, it's so much bigger than your average American realizes. Um, it's huge over in, like, so many European countries. Like, uh, it gets – prime time, um, weekend TV times, um, every Saturday and Sunday, kind of like six o'clock ish when people get home after work and stuff, they turn on the TV and they get to watch ski jumping. And, uh, it goes from the end of November to the end of March. And so that's like four months where ski jumping is happening nonstop. And at these events, um, there'll be like stadiums built at the bottom of these ski jumps where, tens of thousands of people will come and watch like it's a football game. That's pretty incredible. Oh man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, this is something that we get to learn. And that's exactly why I'm trying to do this. Cause it's, I think it's incredible, you know, how we can just kind of not even for lack of a better term, notice a sport, but over in Europe, as you're, as you're making a sound for four months out of the year, that is their, their life. That is their NFL. You know, that's their, yeah. that's their, their big thing. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I honestly did not know that. Um, but I'm glad that you're getting the recognition you deserve. Unfortunately, not here as much as we'd like, but at least over overseas, you're getting, um, you're getting some of that. So what's, what is that like, you know, coming from the United States where you don't really get any of that to then go over there where you're under the lights, you're jumping in front of, as you said, tens of thousands of people at such a young age. How did that, did that, was that like a shock to your system? Um, you know, like working my way up to the world cup and on those lower level events, I knew that's what the world cup was like. And then, also, um, growing up and skiing for my home club in Chicago during our events, we'd promote the hell out of our events and, you know, being close to a major city, we'd still get, um, like 5,000 plus people coming out watching the competition. So I was not new to jumping in front of crowds and I had grown to like it. I really enjoy jumping in front of a huge audience. So, um, it was more exciting than it was, um, scary or didn't make me nervous or anything. I always, I always thought it was really cool that people got into the sport and that they came out and watched it. So, um, you know, it's, it's really cool. Although it's also a totally different atmosphere. You know, you have in back skiing in Chicago, it was almost like a circus act. Like people saw it once a year and they're like, Whoa, this is crazy. Who does this? And then they go home, but in Europe they follow it. And so, people know your name, people are coming up to you asking for pictures and autographs, which um, the first time that happened to me, I was like, you want my autograph? Like, <laughs> I'm not anyone special, but um, you know, it's, it, it was fun and uh, cool that they get that into it. That is awesome, man. And right now you are in Slovenia, correct? As, as yes. of this recording. So are yeah. you, are you training right now? Cause I guess November is not, not nearly as far away as it seems. No, it's not. Um, yeah, I'm training six days a week. Um, Slovenia is kind of our home base in Europe. Um, most of our coaching staff is Slovenian and they live here. 
so they kind of helps up a little base. Slovenia is a huge ski jumping country. It's like one of the most popular sports here. So they have really great facilities and um, it's a good central location to train from. Um, we have an apartment here that we live at like half the year. Uh, it's an easy place to drive to any other competitions in Central Europe. No hills more than eight hours away, um, but they can be as close as like two hours out if you're leaving the country. But, you know, sometimes competitions are in Slovenia. So it's almost like we have a home club here. That's awesome. And so what, so you're training six hours or six days a week. What does a, I guess like a regular training day look like? I mean, it's, it's relatively late right now where you are. Um, yeah. so what, what, I guess, what did you do today? And like how much gym is involved? How many times can you really jump down a hill? Like, like obviously being pretty ignorant to the sport and not knowing, like, tell us what that's like and how you're able to really calculate everything so much that you know exactly what you need to do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So today we, I woke up at about 7.30, um, got up, ate breakfast, you know, did the normal morning routine, uh, drove over to one of the jumps that they have in this country uh, called Planitza. Uh, it's a pretty big training facility. They have um, every jump from a five meter up to 120 meter, and they even have a ski flying hill there that they use for the World Cup finale every year. Um, so I was jumping the big, the large hill today, the 120 meter and, you know, you go there, you warm up, um, and then you go up on the jumps and typically you would take six jumps in your average training session. Um, that takes about two hours. I'd say after every jump, you'd go and talk to your coach. They tell you what they did on the radio, or sometimes they come up to you with a camera and you look at, um, you know, your technique and try to fix things. Um, after that, we drive back to the apartment, eat lunch, um, hang out for like an hour or two. Then we go to a gym for a couple hours, lift weights, do some plyos, whatever we have on the schedule. Um, then after that, we come back here and, uh, hang out. Sometimes we have errands to run. Sometimes we hang out and do stuff. You know, you have to live, uh, a little bit of a life. So, um, what, what is Slovenian Netflix like? If you don't mind me asking, it's pretty similar to American Netflix. Okay, which is nice. good. good. <laughs> as long as you have like the office and like that 70 show, I think yeah, I can, yeah. I, the $10 a month is worth it. Everything after that's gravy. So that's oh, pretty yeah. funny. I have heard that the, some, some countries have some interesting, interesting choices. So I wasn't mm-hmm. sure, uh, how Slovenian Netflix looked, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible that you're able to do all that in a day and you do this six days a week and you're literally grinding every single day. I mean, you're taking six jumps a day and after every single one, you're, you're, you're critiquing yourself, you're getting critiqued and figuring out, you know, cause I'm assuming in a sport like yours where you're, you know, you getting some speed and you're, you're flying. I love how, you know, I've talked, <laughs> you're the second ski jumper I've talked to. It's always flying. And I just love that. And so, I mean, how, how much improvement can really happen in a day? I mean, I assume a lot of it has to do with being in the gym and making sure you're strong and, 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 and stable and you need everything to do there, but how much from jump to jump can you change, especially at the elite level you're at now? It's very technical, so it's a lot of critiquing, but all these little things add up and can make a huge difference. You know, sometimes you fix something major and you make a huge improvement in one day. Sometimes you regress a little bit and you're doing, you have a bad session and you're doing worse. Um, It's not a gradual 
wine. Um, and it's important to make sure you don't burn out, but you just try to, you know, coast upwards as much as you can. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really something that I think any athlete has, you know, figured out perfectly, but, um, you try to just maintain those improvements, uh, throughout an entire year. And it's really hard to do, but, um, you know, those that can do it the best and kind of peak in the winter, um, are going to have the best seasons. Does that get frustrating ever? I mean, I'm assuming like just the constant up and down of the little tiny small things that can go right or wrong. I mean, that's got to get some days you just probably want to break everything. I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Sometimes you have a bad session. Sometimes you have a bad week or a month and, um, that can be really hard to deal with. Um, yeah, I've, I've had times where like one or two months haven't been going my way and, you think there's no fixing it. Um, what was I going to say? And it's, it's hard too, because especially uh, being American, like all the events are over here. We're constantly living over here. Um, you know, you're not living your normal life. You don't see your family or friends for months on end. And um, sometimes the sport just consumes you and it's hard to deal with and hard to fix things when you can't like get away from the sport for a little bit. No, hundred percent, man. I mean, like I can understand having a bad session here and there. That's obviously going to happen to everybody, especially if yeah. you have six of them in a week. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a bad session yesterday. I had a good one today. All right. You it fixed happens. it. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. That's phenomenal. And yeah, perseverance, it screams like what you guys are doing screams perseverance and being able to get them mind over everything else. Because I mean, it's unfortunate that, yeah, you have to leave your family. You have to leave your friends months on end, as you said, um, and, and that's why I really, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. It's incredible that you're just willing to kind of sacrifice all that to, to, to be the best at a sport and compete for our country. So we, we sincerely appreciate that again, man. So thank you so much. It's just, um, you know, doing everything that you do on a daily basis. That just sounds like such an unbelievable grind that, I mean, you know, I hope that seventh day of the week when you get to rest and get to hang out, you really enjoy it and uh, decompress. But I'm assuming it's something that's just constantly on your mind, really, no matter what, uh, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's incredible, man. So thank you for putting in the work. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. You seem like you're much better at you're doing what you're doing. So we'll just, uh, we'll let that happen. So we haven't even gotten to the fact that you qualified and made the Olympics yet. Let's talk a little bit about that. What was it like? I mean, I'm assuming because the, the ski jumping community, especially living over in Europe, you know, a lot of the guys you're competing against, you, mm -hmm. you're, you're friends with some of them. I'm sure. What is, what was that like being able to go and represent our country, um, for your sport? and being able to go there and compete and jump off the hill that some of, you know, the people you've been looking up to for the last couple of years, um, were right there next to you. It was, it was really cool. It was an amazing experience. Um, for me personally, I kind of like expected to make the team. I, I knew it was going to happen, you know, nothing's hundred percent. And it was like finally a relief when they officially announced the teams, but, um, it wasn't any sort of surprise. Some of my teammates, um, I had, uh, there were a couple trying to fight for that last spot or two. And, um, it was a little more exciting for them once they finally did it, uh, which was really cool to see like all the emotion once they were actually named. Um, but you know, the Olympics had been like a dream of mine ever since I was nine when I started ski jumping. So to be, to like arrive at Korea and get to the like opening ceremonies and everything, it was surreal almost. 
it was probably one of the coolest things I've ever done and ever will do. Yeah, man. I mean, it's incredible, especially that first time I've had the opportunity to talk to athletes who have been there three times now. And they say that Mm -hmm. first time is literally just the coolest thing. Walking into the opening ceremonies, people are just screaming your name all around you. You get to wave, you get to, you're with the rest of your country that, you know, all the other people representing the country with you. So that's just incredible. And so when you were there, like how much, how much did you soak in? How much did you kind of just let wash over you? How much did you try and go and seek other people out? Like, hey, did you try and find any of the other athletes from the United States or, or from around the world? What did you do when you were there to really make sure you got the most out of the experience? Oh, yeah. I I mean, since this was like something I've been looking forward to for so long, I went all out. I, um, you know, met a lot of athletes, um, even like just like skiers, um, most of the skiers in the community know each other but we're kind of a little bit removed from that so uh, we don't know those guys as well and so I got to know a lot of other athletes um I got to watch a lot of sports that I'm really into but never really get a chance to see so that was really cool um I think the Americans were actually the only ski jumping team to stay until the closing ceremonies which I don't understand I guess some of the other all the other countries wanted to get back and train but um, you know, I think for me, the Olympics is like, especially big because, um, those guys, when they compete, um, it's kind of like another weekend, just like a prestigious event for us. It's the only time people from our country will ever watch the sport every four years. So, um, you know, it was like our one shot to, you know, represent the sport. And so I think for us, um, it meant something more than that. That's so. a yeah. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about it like that. Like obviously, around the world where the the sports more popular, they're on TV all the time, as you were telling us earlier. And for mm-hmm. you, um, and and your teammates, just being able to say like, "Mom, you can turn on the TV and watch me tonight." Like that right. is incredible. I had a ton of my friends watch. Um, it was the first time they'd ever seen ski jumping. They have known me for years. I've been doing World Cup for years. Are always on TV. That was their first time watching the sport. That is super cool. And obviously, yeah. I'm sure you would wish that they'd watch you more, but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty difficult to find it unless, you know, they have some live stream on some uh, some website somewhere. But that's just... Yeah, it's like sketchy websites, hard yeah. to find. Not something like my friends would be able to figure out. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So that's, I mean, that's so cool, man. I'm glad that you had the opportunity to do that. You had the opportunity to share that moment. Um, you, when you were going down the hill, like... What, like, obviously, it's the Olympics now. It's, it's Everything's amplified. The whole world's mm-hmm. watching. Like, did that affect you at all and not even like for the bad or for the good like did you just when you were going down the hill or flying through the air where you're just like oh my gosh like really really are watching me right now i really thought it would and i was kind of worried about that but when i was actually like you know kind of focused in game mode and you know put my skis on slid out in the bar it really didn't feel that much different from a world cup which um, I think helped me focus and helped me do as well as I did because I was able to not think about it being the Olympics. I was able to think about this is a, just another competition. Just do what you normally do. Have a good jump and, you know, the rest will come. And it came in and you jumped yeah. multiple times. You were in multiple different events. You're on the normal hill, the large hill, and the team large hill as well. Um, so you were explaining the difference between the normal hill and the large hill to us earlier. I think one was 90 meters, the normal hill, and the, the large was 120, correct? Yeah, typically. Um, oh, in, oh. in Pyeongchang, the jumps there were a little bit bigger. The normal hill was a K98, 
and the large hill is a K125. Okay. And the, did that affect you or any of the athletes at all? I mean, that's a substantial difference when you think about practicing six hours a day, six days a week for something super specific and technical. Um, did that kind of affect anybody? In, in a, in a- uh, not really. There, there are jumps of all sizes everywhere. So it's not like this was super unusual. Okay. Um, actually, the hills here in Sylvania that I train on a lot um, are 95 and a 125. And then um, there's another hill we train on a lot that's uh, 100 meter. And so they have all sorts of sizes out there. Um, typically, I prefer larger hills. I usually do better on larger hills. So uh, for them to have like a bigger normal hill, I thought was kind of cool. And I like that. And so that's that's just very surprising to me only because of how specific you've been telling me everything is and how technical and how minute some of the details get to then just like hey well this one's four meters less hey this one's 10 meters more like i i find that surprising i mean obviously it's not too uh not too surprising to you it sounds like but i don't know i guess from the, the again i'm pretty ignorant when it comes to the sport <laughs> just not really knowing anything yeah uh, that that does seem like it could kind of start to affect uh some mm-hmm. of the ways you do things so you know, most people figure, oh, it's like a big jump. They're probably all exactly the same. But most jumps uh, are actually a little bit different. Each one has its own character. Um, they vary a lot. And, you know, things like um, the way they're built, where they're built, the elevation, uh, the kind of wind they get, all there's so many different factors that change uh, the way a hill jumps and how it feels and stuff. So we're used to dealing with a lot of different hills and, um, good jumpers can always, you know, kind of adapt to a new hill really quickly. And, uh, you kind of learn to do it when I was younger, I had a hard time adjusting to new hills. I always had to have, um, a training session or two on it before I could get good at it. Um, over the years I've learned to, you know, take one or even my first jump is like good. Um, you have to adjust really quickly. And I think most of the guys at the Olympics are able to adjust really quickly and, I'd actually jumped both those hills the year before they had a world cup test event. And so I, I knew what to expect. Um, we had a few training days on the hill before we competed too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a big deal for uh, the jumps to be slightly different. The same yeah. technique on every hill should work the same if, if it's good. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess the technique is definitely very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fluid. You can definitely move the technique around the hill as you just kind of have to figure out where in the hill, I guess it lies. So that's pretty cool. That's really interesting to know. It's, it's cool. A couple fun facts we've learned today. So I hope everybody likes getting educated on ski jumping a little bit because it's definitely pretty interesting. I mean, we have one of the best in the world here, so we might as well take advantage of your knowledge and everything you got going on, man. So we sincerely do appreciate it. Um, so another thing that I do want to ask about is the Olympics sound incredible. It sounds like you had an amazing time Super happy you got to go. Super happy you stayed the whole time. You got to enjoy the closing ceremonies. Your friends got to watch you on TV for the first time. That's just so cool. Um, I'm sure you got millions, if not hundreds of millions of pictures of, hey, hey, look, look. <laughs> hey, I knew that kid in high school that one time. Like, that's cool. Oh, yeah. So Definitely I'm sure you got a bunch of those. So that's pretty cool. Um, one thing that I do want to bring up now, you know, congratulations on everything, but I do want to bring up the monetary aspect of ski jumping here, I guess, in America, because it sounds like it's going to be a little different over there in Europe. So, mm-hmm. you know, what what comes with sponsorships, how you go about doing that? Do you even bother with American companies or do you pretty much just worry about the European companies? Like, obviously, we don't want to know how many dollars you made, but 
what's it like living that lifestyle and, and being able to do and get everything that you need? You know, if you're like top 10 in the world, um, I think you're doing all right. Um, the lower you get from there, the less valuable you are as an athlete, I should say. So, um, last year I was ranked 39th in the world. Um, this year, my goal is to be at least top 30. I think I could, if I have a good year, I can get top 20 in the world. Um, but sponsorships for like us being in America are difficult because, um, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, um, we haven't been that good. So a lot of these athletes that kind of came before me didn't really deal with sponsorships that much. Um, if they did, they were kind of like something local or like someone they knew who was helping out. Um, and so I'm kind of new to the whole sponsor thing. I've had, you know, small sponsors last couple of years. Um, they've all been European based companies. Um, I would be open to something in America, but, uh, unless they've got products that they're promoting in Europe, uh, it's not that valuable for them. So, um, I kind of work around and see what my options are. Um, and do you, do I, you do all this by yourself? Or do you have someone helping out? Is your parents like trying to look for these things for you? Or is it pretty much just people coming to you? How does the whole process work? Um, for the most part, I've had people coming to me. Um, my coach has helped me a little bit in the past. Um, I've had like agents come up to me, but no one who, not like an agent that's ever represented me. So um, I feel like that's kind of the next step if I have a, good enough summer uh, competing in Grand Prix that um, hopefully I could find an agent who would find me like a real sponsor or something, someone uh, or a company that I could kind of create a relationship with and keep something going for a couple of years rather than looking for a new one every single year just to kind of get by through the season. Absolutely. So then how have you been able to sustain your level of excellence, let's call it with kind of also having this, I don't want to say looming, but also in the background where it's like, Oh, I need, you need money to eat food and to get coaches and equipment. So how, right. you know, how much has us USA Nordic been helping you? How much have you GoFundMe has been helping you? How do you really get, um, you know, the, the, the money that you need? So when I was younger, uh, like 16, 17. Um, it was kind of like a huge burden on me and my parents and like, kind of every dollar I was making was going towards it. Um, my parents were putting a lot of money into it. Um, and it was hard. Um, but you know, when you, you kind of have to invest in it to move up to the next level. And, um, I made it to a point where some of the stuff started getting paid by from USA Nordic. Um, they kind of rank you into teams and based on what team you're on, uh, you get X amount of funding and every year USA Nordic has been able to add to the amount of funding that they give each team. And I have been slowly moving up each team. So right now, um, as an athlete, uh, last year was the first year that it was like this, but, um, I'm fully funded by them, uh, which is 
really nice, a huge help. It makes such an uh, amazing difference. Like I don't have ever have to worry about missing an event because of money, which is super nice. But like you said, um, that's for like travel and um, like an apartment and stuff like that. As for like, you know, everyday things uh, like food or anything that I want to do outside of ski jumping. Um, you know, I have a job back home. I work when I'm in America. Um, every year I've made um, a little more money from ski jumping. Uh, like you get paid based on results from the World Cup. So, you know, a little bit here and there every year. That's getting a little bit better, but uh, it's kind of slow right now. So that's incredible, man. And yeah, that this, it's, I just think that that's ridiculous. I mean, you're literally the best in the world or in the best in the country at something. And you know, you, you have, you, you come home and you're just another 20 something that has to work his job. And right. you know, I just, I think that's ridiculous. And, and not only that, but I mean, like it takes away from your training. It takes away from your mindset. You know, you have the people over, as you said, in, in Europe where it's their NFL, essentially, they're getting paid the money that they deserve. Not only that from, from the, the, actual races but the sponsorships the team i think it's incredible that the team you know fully funds you that's that's great and i'm super happy about that um and you clearly deserve it so that's great but uh, at the same time you know it's, it's very frustrating to hear that the best in in the country is something that has to come home and you know do his job so that way he can eat food and watch his slovenian netflix when he's over there um, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's difficult man and again hopefully that's something we'll be able to change the narrative a little bit more but congratulations on everything you've been able to do so far with you know what with what you've been given Mm-hmm. yeah thanks no thank you we we appreciate the the time and the energy you're putting into it so thank you um sure. so um i do want to flesh you out for lack of a better term as a person um and you know so what are some of the other things you do i mean obviously you live in europe x months out of the year then you come home and work a lot it sounds like but you know so what what are, what are the other things you like to do i mean what kind of music you listen to what kind of other sports do you watch like talk to me about about kevin a little bit <laughs> some of some of the things that he's enjoy, he enjoys uh, so when we're in Europe, um, you know, in our free time, it's, you know, another continent that a lot of people from back home don't get to visit. So we try to do as much exploring as we can, uh, get around, see the different countries, see the landscapes. Um, you know, there are beautiful mountains here. So you know, go on a hike or something, um, get out, explore the cities, that kind of thing. Um, when I'm back home, uh, Actually, one of my favorite things to do when I get back from World Cup season, you know, I finally get to sleep in my bed after six months, um, day one of being back home. Well, now I don't live in Chicago. I had to move to Park City, Utah to be able to train with the national team and I'm there um, on the like Olympic Hills that they have there. Uh, it's like kind of our home base in the U.S. So as of, I want to say four years ago, that's where I'm living. <coughs> First day back. I always wake up early in the morning, grab my skis and go skiing for eight hours. <clears throat> you know, you'd think, oh, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 months. Why would I want to do that? But it's, it's like kind of different. So, um, I love, I love going skiing. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's literally <laughs> your life. I mean, it makes sense. I'm, I'm assuming not just ski jumping though. You just go, I guess. Oh yeah, No, I don't. Eat. After, after the world cup finale, I don't ski jump for, like three months after that. Um, it's all, it's all downhill skiing. I go to the ski resort that they have in park city and I'll do that for two weeks every day, pretty much until the resorts close. 
and you just get to enjoy it. But no one's critique. You're not critiquing yourself. Right. You're not worried yeah. about your time. You're just there to go down the hill, enjoy the snow, mm-hmm. and just enjoy it. So that's awesome, man. That's good to hear that you at least enjoy it, right? As, as long as it's not something that's a huge burden. Um, it yeah. sounds like you know you get to actually have a little bit of fun with it, um, and clearly you love it. So that's that's always pretty important as well. Um, so the last thing I want to ask you about. Um, I brought this up to you earlier. You told me I was allowed to ask it. Apparently, I wrote a couple stories that you um, you're a hit with. Um, specifically Polish ladies. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about that and how, I guess, how that came to be true. I mean, you look very um, Nordic. Is that the word I want to use? You look very uh, Finland. Um, what the hell am I thinking about? I don't know. Whatever. Scandinavian. There we yeah. go. There you look. Very Scandinavian. Good looking dude. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the story that I read online. So from that story, um, Poland is kind of known as like, the country with the craziest fans, like all the diehards that um, really go hard for the sport. Um, the World Cups they have in their countries always are packed and like sell out way before everyone who wants a ticket gets their ticket. And you'll just have mobs of people like surrounding the jumpers hotels and uh, the hills that when we're competing and stuff. So you walk outside your hotel room and there are groups of people waiting for ski jumpers and then you know they recognize you and they run over and like 20 30 people want your autograph or they want to take a picture with you and stuff like that and they're always sending you messages on like instagram and stuff so that's too funny so you're like the beatles (laughs) yeah pretty much uh stuff like that happens in like a lot of these countries but i would definitely say that in poland it's the most extreme Love it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if, if they love you, just let them have it, right? There's nothing yeah, wrong with that at all, man. Good fun. Exactly. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much, man. I sincerely appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know it's pretty yeah, late no where problem. you are right now. Um, thank you so much again. We have Kevin Bickner. He's on the USA ski jumping team. Um, athlete of the year, 16, 17, 18. And actually, now that I think about it, I totally forgot. I, if you have two more minutes for me, Kevin, Tell yeah, me about the tell me about the time when you flew through the air for two hundred and forty four point <laughs> five meters, please. That actually still is my best World Cup result. Um, I have always been uh, good at ski jump or ski flying. That's been like my specialty, and um, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. It's a special event. You only get to do it a couple times a year, so. Um, this particular day, if, if you I, don't mind, could you actually just, uh, describe the differences for us between ski flying and I guess ski jumping? Um, it's pretty much a ski jump. That's like twice the size of your big Olympic jump. So everything is just very exaggerated. You go faster down the ramp. You, um, when you're flying through the air, there's so much more pressure pushing on your skis and holding you up. And you're just in, instead of being in the air for like, four or five seconds you're in the air for like 10 seconds so it's it's just like the extreme version of ski jumping and so so you flew two and a half football fields yeah yeah um it was i i was struggling a little bit um the week before and i worked on a lot of things got all ready for this ski flying event and i showed up and was jumping pretty well and the wind was really crazy that day there was actually a bunch of delays um, one of the four jumpers that they send these guys called four jumpers down the hill first, um, uh, guys who aren't competing a little more inexperienced, but, um, they send them down to like, make sure the hill is safe and stuff. 
And, you know, if they don't crash, then we probably won't crash. It's kind of like that. Um, they had one of those guys crash and, uh, it was pretty gnarly and there was like all this, all these delays and stuff. And so I wasn't sure the competition was going to get off. But, um, when I went, the wind was, um, there, you want a headwind in ski jumping and there was like a really crazy headwind and, uh, they have a jury that decides if the wind's safe or not, or if it's fair. And so they gave me the green light to go and I was kind of surprised, but I rolled with it and, you know, had a really good job, got all this headwind in the air, um, blew it down, uh, to two forty-four and a half, And it was like probably one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done. Was that the longest 10 seconds of your life? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it felt like, it felt like 30 for sure. <laughs> I was going to say that probably felt forever. One time I jumped out of an airplane, which quite isn't as comparable, but I've still always like, wanted to do that. Still it's incredible, man. I am terrified of heights. One of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Never yeah. going to do it again, but I'm so glad I did. But yeah, it was it 60 was, seconds. It had to have felt like five minutes. Like it's incredible. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it was kind of crazy because, um, the next jump, like 30 minutes later, I'm going up, I'm singing 12th. I'm like super stoked. I was like, Oh, I'm going to try to get a top 10 world cup. That would be so cool. And, um, I had a really good jump again. Wasn't going to go quite as far, but I was just pulling so hard trying to get every last meter that I could. A weird gust of wind came, tossed my ski to the side. And I ended up like face planting and going down really hard. I crashed pretty hard. And on a jump that big, when you're going that fast, uh, falling does not feel good. So I got the wind knocked out of me pretty good. I hit my head. Um, I couldn't like get up right away. Um, the medics came out with a stretcher. They put me on a stretcher and like carried me off of the jump and stuff. And everyone was like freaking out and thought it was this big thing. Luckily it was just, you know, got a little cut up. I just couldn't stand up cause my stomach got hit pretty hard, but uh, I ended up being fine and jumping the next weekend, but I still was able to not drop back that many places. I ended up with the 15th that day, but it was kind of a, it was kind of a crazy day, like went and set the U S record and then had this like crazy crash and got carried away. So it yeah, was that's, definitely a memorable day. Yeah. Probably, you know, probably hope to be carried off on a throne rather than a stretcher. But sometimes <laughs> yeah. that stuff just happens, man. But thank you so much for that story as well. That is literally like I cannot fathom what that is like. So, so I appreciate you explaining it to us and letting us live vicariously a little bit through you. So again, Kevin Bickner, part of the USA ski jumping team, USA Nordic. We appreciate everything that they're doing for us. Um, Kevin, thank you so much. We sincerely appreciate your time today, but also the time that you're putting in every single day, grinding hard to try and make it to, uh, to one of the best in the world, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Guys and girls, thank you so much again for listening to another episode of Our Athletes. Um, the people that I get to talk to on a daily basis now is super incredible. It's very inspirational, and I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. So if there's anything I can do better, uh, please let me know. I want this to be as as great as it can be for you guys. My email is michael at ourathletes.us. Our Instagram is ourathletes.us. Shoot us a message, shoot me an email, tell me what I can do better to make this more enjoyable for you. Um, but other than that, guys, please rate, review, subscribe, share, do whatever you got to do so more people can hear about this project so our athletes can get a little bit more recognition for the time, the energy, the money, the blood, the sweat, the tears that they put into representing us Americans on a daily basis. So thank you guys so much again. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a wonderful day.